0: You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, reviews, technology, associated products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of The Essential Apple Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to this week's episode. A slightly different sort of episode this week as I am very privileged to have with me a man who was part of the development team for the Global Positioning System, uh, a technology that is now taken for granted, but as uh, you will find out, something that went from obscurity to ubiquity. So I'm very pleased to welcome to the show Mr. David Acklam. Hello, David, and how are things with you in Arizona?
2: We have a beautiful day here in sunny Arizona.
1: Oh, i pretty... Murky here, um, wet, windy. Oh. We've had a westerly um, front crossing the country, but um, they say it's going to pass over tonight. And the next couple of days are going to be northerly winds, bright and crispy cold.
2: <laughs> well, just in time for Santa Claus, yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> unlikely. I know, over here it'll be it'll probably just turned back to wet
2: and windy again. <laughs> That's British
1: weather for you. That is British uh,
2: weather. Yeah, I sent you a little little uh, reminder of we did spend some time in uh, London. Right. Yeah, and, I've got that. Uh, I think
1: that might that might be the show art actually.
2: And uh, we did. Uh, I sent you that picture of. Uh, the uh, a couple of the main players there, and uh, of course, you can see yours truly in the kind of the brown leather jacket uh, behind me. Uh, that's our your uh, Royal Navy. Uh, he's retired now, This Johnny Cardale. Okay, uh, he uh, I believe he's a Lord Lieutenant, you might understand that royal stuff, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, Johnny and I, uh, about the same age, and uh, was very interesting, and then the fella. Uh next to me on my uh, left there, that's uh, Kurt Tremel. He was a, a lieutenant colonel in the German Luftwaffe. He, uh, he used to fly F-104 Starfighters, which were kind of widowmakers. Yeah,
1: I'm familiar with the widowmakers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then standing next to him, uh, that, uh, oh boy, I'm going to forget his name now. Oh, he was our Canadian representative, uh, Bob... Uh, Oh, what was Bob's last name? Anyhow. Uh the years have gone by and they've taken their toll, but uh uh many of the things that were uh uh tried to squeeze into that wonderful video that Tom Sylvester put together the documentary, uh there's probably enough for twenty more documentaries that are lying on the cutting room floor.
1: I'm sure there are. Uh that was a it was a good documentary. I enjoyed it.
2: I you know I I really appreciated uh, what Tom did he captured the essence of so many people uh put so much effort in and I feel bad because most of the stuff I tried to uh to get squeezed into his uh, his interview uh, was talking about some of the people that generally don't get the recognition that the troops in the trenches so to speak uh the people that made Uh, Each of our little tests happened, the people that flew our helicopters, the people that prepared the helicopters, uh, the other vehicles that were not included in there, because it was kind of really aimed at our Air Force effort. But uh, I was a uh, Air Force uh, officer living on an army post out in the middle of the desert in Yuma, uh, and the army just treated myself and our family wonderful out there. But I got so exposed to our sister service. And then, of course, we had uh, eight other participating uh, countries from members of NATO, uh, including the UK, and uh, what was not included in there was the many trips across the pond to demonstrate to each of the participating uh, countries' Ministry of Defence (MODs) what uh, their tax dollars was being spent on. <laughs> <laughs> How do you convince somebody back in the 70s uh, that, oh, we're going to actually listen to satellites and we're going to tell you where you're at very accurately? Yeah. And uh, uh, and they go, well, why? You know, I can look at a map. I can read street signs. Uh, I think I know where I'm at. Well, it's kind of interesting today how we just take that for granted that, uh, oh, I just look at my GPS, right?
1: Yeah exactly. I mean the yeah the, I mean the bit that got me at the end of the documentary was I, I can't remember which one it was but he was laughing when he pointing to his apple watch and saying like all that work we did and that fits inside my apple watch and costs about a dollar 50.
2: Yep that uh, that was yours truly uh, I kinda goofed up on the date my memory gets goofed up but I did get this gag gift on my air force retirement. Yeah uh, that's
1: what uh, you were saying the thing about the Yeah um, and
2: unfortunately, he did put the picture of that watch in there, but I have to chuckle is that, uh, boy, it came true a lot sooner than I ever expected.
1: Yeah, what was it? Casio Man 1990, 1999, I
2: think he. I said 99, and I'm looking at it because I have it hanging on my wall in my little wall of honor. Uh, it was GPS Manpack 1991. Oh, well. But. Then. But you can see in the picture I sent you in Hyde Park there, that was the smallest GPS unit we had in 1979. Mm. And uh, that thing weighed 27 pounds. It had two lithium batteries that were actually batteries built for the military uh, radio uh, folks for operating certain radios. I think it was a PRC-77 radio. But... uh, the lithium battery was kinda of new technology and there was a lot of concern about uh these things could explode if you shorten them out. They would overheat and
1: uh, yeah. uh if we, you've ever you seen can't... if you've ever seen a video of one go off. <laughs> oh.
2: uh, It's amazing that anybody.
1: It's amazing any of us are prepared to put one in our pockets, really. But uh...
2: exactly, and if you saw the size of these batteries, I mean, these things are like small uh, motorcycle batteries. There, there was two of them in there, and that was a good half of the weight. But uh, the way they were designed is they uh, they used uh, hydrogen sulfide within each of the cells to passivate the lithium, so uh, uh, to keep them from going. uh, I guess. overloading. But the problem is, is that if they started to uh, discharge too fastly, there was a pressure relief valve. And uh, we had one go off in one of the units. Somebody shorted the battery out in a conference room. And it took probably over a year for the conference room to stop smelling like rotten eggs, Yeah, let alone that one man pack unit was, it stunk for its duration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a little bit of humor and stuff that uh you know it's 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 those uh antidotes that uh it's fun to share and uh of course as the years go by little by little they fade and uh so this is kind of a pleasure just to kind of share a few of these with you
1: no oh, that's fine absolutely fine so um i obviously you sent me your your bio david um man you've done a lot of things <laughs>
2: Well life has been fun. <laughs>
1: you know, you've done a lot yeah. of things. What we got here? I mean, uh let me see, I'll put it in the show notes for all the all the listeners to uh, have a look at, but uh, where are we? Um Oh dear, I see you're an engineer. Um what we got here? You so um yeah, uh, professional engineer. Uh
2: inactive though, I am retired so well, I don't yes, practice yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no. but, but I do have the license, but it yeah uh, it says um, retired.
1: It does say yes, inactive. Um, uh BSEE so what's that electrical engineering I'm I'm guessing yeah
2: bachelor of science in electrical engineering,
1: engineering. yeah at the university of arizona uh right. air force officer 1966 to 87 uh test engineer with texas instruments um and uh, then obviously there's the Jeep, all the gps thing and I I <laughs> I had to laugh at the title the lone you know the lonely halls it sounds like an epic by uh you know, by J. R. Tolkien, doesn't it?
2: All right. Yeah, it it was. It all I said, Tom, why I didn't quite understand why he was calling that and then I had to go and look at uh the script and I go, Oh <laughs> he Brad actually did say that in one of his write ups. <laughs> uh yep. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's mentioned yeah, they, they do explain it, don't they? Um but uh yeah, the documentary is called The Lonely Halls, uh a Lonely Halls meeting, I think. Um yes. Um and yeah, they, they explain that it's it was named that because they met, uh, first met in the Pentagon on uh, what was it Labor Day weekend? I think they say. Yeah, it was a
2: Labor Day weekend, and of course that was back when uh, uh money was tight and energy was tight, and so they would turn the air conditioners off and turn the lights off to kind of save on the electric bill. And, <laughs> so uh, it was all I deserted.
1: Don't... There we go. Apart from apart from the uh, you know, the crew plotting to develop GPS.
2: It was, uh, you know, it's one of those things, again, that uh, in in the very beginning, there was so many different efforts to develop navigation systems. And, of course, at that time, uh, the primary military systems that were used... uh, Navy had their transit system and uh, the Air Force uh, and, and the other uh, land base units would uh, depend on what was called TACAN in uh, radar uh, type navigation systems. And, and then some of the early developments of what they call Doppler navigation. Uh, but uh, who how do you sit there and, and, and have satellite navigation? Well, that sounds intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the thing was is that surprised me is working with the our navy folks um, if you think back in the, in, the, in that generation we had these horrible uh uh oil tankers running aground on reefs and stuff and of course having disastrous oil spills uh at that time in back in the 50s and 60s uh they didn't really know their position in, in that big ocean very well and the uh, one navigation system that they used, I believe it was a transit system. Uh, if they got on the wrong wavelength, they could be 60 nautical miles off course. And uh, you, no wonder they ran into reefs. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just amazing that people, of course, the average person that's not uh, involved with that type of business, Never really thought much about it and say, well, can't those sailors sail better than that? They run right into the doggone reef, you know, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, now you understand. And of course today it's funny when you hear that people are following their navigation system in their car and they run into a lake or something because the map didn't match where, uh, they thought they were, uh, (laughs) And I, I hear lots of people, even to this day, that'll complain about, "Well, my GPS didn't put me in the right place." And I'm going, "Well, the GPS actually knew where you were at. <laughs> yeah. The map was not accurate." <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. The map that your, uh, you know, your application is using to direct you is not correct.
2: You... <laughs> it, it is. It is so important that people don't understand uh, that the Defense Mapping Agency here in the United States, back during when we were developing this stuff, had a very limited uh, surveyed point of positions on what we call Earth, uh, and those positions tied to an Earth-Center, Earth-Fixed point mathematically. And that's moved around. Uh, back when we were developing it. it was World Geodetic Survey 1976, I believe, and I, I don't know what the latest one. I know they shortly after they gone operational, it was WGS-84. But just knowing what the Earth actually looks like mathematically uh Then, merging that with what the g p s says well, I know where I'm at, and you know here here's where it is as as of this moment in time uh it's 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 simple in one terms on the other hand extremely complicated, and it's amazing where Brad pointed out in the end that this thing's maintained by a half a dozen uh enlisted uh air force yeah. members up in Colorado uh maintaining the accuracy of where those satellites are in space. So that was, uh, I I think, a real tribute to how this program has evolved.
1: Well, I mean, I have to say, talking about, um, I mean, it's a fascinating, fascinating um, documentary because, you know, it takes you all the way through. And obviously it's pitched for people like me as outsiders to get a handle on how it developed and the um, hurdles that had to be overcome and... um, and so on, I mean, there's the bit about how many satellites that you need and at, at what height you'll get, you know, if we go for, uh, we'd like to have a 12-hour rotation, but that's too high. We haven't got a booster big enough to get the get the satellites that far out. And there was all that. And then, so that I could kind of, <laughs> that's all fairly physical stuff. You know, I could, I could visualise all that. I could see all that, um, you know, how you're trying to make that work. Uh, but then he got to the bit where he said, uh, of course, uh, because of the gravity well, and we're that far out, um, and we're traveling at X speed, there's a relativistic effect. Yes, <laughs> <just laughs> uh,
2: good old Einstein. <laughs> and
1: that was that was the bit where the guy goes, so we have to calculate the time difference. And it, it's so many, uh, 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 10 to the minus 19, uh, the, the thing, and then you have to adjust by that. And I'm like, my head has exploded. <laughs> <laughs> my mind has been blown at that point. You know. you
2: know the other thing that was really lost in that, uh, of course, now GPS all fits in a dollar fifty cent chip that uh, you know we carry around in our computers, our laptops, our iPads, our watches, etc. But back in the '70s, when this thing was being developed, we didn't really have personal computers. Our group out of Yuma was uh, kind of lucky; we had an Apple II that our secretary did most of uh, the typing up of our our test reports and that on, and of course she became my secretary when I took over the unit. But uh, I had an old Atari 800 system that we set up a a simple modem connection so I could at least work a little bit from home and communicate with the office in, in those days. But the GPS solutions themselves were heavily dependent upon Kalman filtering theory which uh, t- ties a lot into matrix inversions mathematically. And to do a 9x9 uh, a nine nine matrix inversion on an old 8-bit uh, computer uh, literally was next impossible to do in real time. Uh, so if you looked at that little manpack picture that I, I sent you, that 27-pound unit, that basically, I believe, was a PDP-9 computer repackaged in there to run off these two lithium batteries to be able to do the Kalman filtering solution. And the top of that, uh, which people don't think much about today, is the antenna because GPS operated at a frequency that was up in the microwave. And microwaves back in them days pretty much depended on what we call plumbing, waveguides. And so that had very, very small waveguide plumbing inside the top of that unit there. And, of course, that antenna, which a lot of the uh, uh, folks that we would show it to said, oh, it comes with a nice, easy-to-hold handle. (laughs) Well, (laughs) don't Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. (laughs) Don't touch it. But when you look at what has happened today, and and I guess that's Moore's law, the the technology just grows exponentially. And I had to chuckle, you know, with the watch thing and getting the the, – uh, gig, a gag gift at retirement that I go well you know what the way uh the computer business was was growing exponentially it wouldn't surprise me that uh, i would see in my lifetime something as small as that watch well <laughs> yeah. we know what it is today and
1: you do uh, indeed uh,
2: it, it is it is there exactly. some of the other things that uh on the bio and, and, and it has been really a blessed co- uh, career for me um uh, has been uh, after retiring. Of course, uh, I I, I kind of joke. I say you know after uh, all those years, some thirty-seven years in in guns and bullets, you know, in the defense business, uh, it was time to give back. So um, I spent the last since two thousand and three working primarily aiming at we we call it STEM. I imagine you it's familiar to you: science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Um, but now we're advocating STEAM. We want the arts and humanity in there because we can't all be engineers. You can't all be mathematicians. And you know the arts and humanities are important even if you are an engineer or a scientist or whatever. But uh, there's a lot more to what goes on in life than just the uh, crunching numbers. Uh, so I've, I've been very involved in that. And the University of Arizona, which I'm an alum of, uh, has the uh, Lunar and Planetary Laboratory which um, was in the College of Science where I got my master's degree in. Um, They tagged me uh, early on in a NASA mission that uh, the university was was the first time they led uh, to land a spacecraft on Mars called the Phoenix Mars Lander. And uh, I got asked to join the advisory board. uh, uh, And then they said, you know, we really need to share this with the community. So I took over what we call the the Kuiper Circle. And that's named after the founder of the Lunar and Planetary Labs, uh, Gerard Kuiper. Uh, And it's basically an education and outreach to the local community in Southern Arizona here. And I've been doing that since 2006. Uh, But along with doing that outreach, I had the wonderful experience to work closely with the uh, principal investigator and team that uh, landed this uh, and operated this uh, lander, uh, Mars lander. uh, Back in uh, 2008, we actually got on the surface and it was there for a little over three months before uh, winter set in and uh, it got buried in in frozen carbon dioxide. But uh, then on top of that, now we just arrived with the latest NASA program, uh, the OSIRIS-REx mission. And uh, of course, once the Phoenix mission was over uh, and they started working on the, uh, the program to try to win the uh, uh, OSIRIS-REx uh, program, I became an ambassador with them again, reaching out to our youth and that uh, in the community here. But uh, boy, there's, it's really exciting. And, and some of the things that people don't realize is that our national, uh, uh, our NASA folks, are, they have uh, ambassador programs that work with the kids in, in middle school and high school. And I know when we were on Mars, the, uh, they had chosen certain people from various parts of the states here. Uh, that worked with a NASA scientist and brought them out to our uh, operation center and uh, had them work for two weeks uh, with the uh, with the scientists in that actually doing science on Mars. And then at the end of their two weeks, they had to put a PowerPoint presentation together uh, to the uh, to the principal investigator, Dr. Smith, uh, and present what they had learned in those two weeks and. It, Just the fact that uh, you'd meet these young kids, our children are our future. And uh, boy, it's really encouraging. And we're doing similar things here now with OSIRIS-REx. They just arrived at the asteroid. They'll be there for a couple of years. We're going to explore where we can get a nice little sample from it. And then we're going to return a sample of that asteroid uh, here to Earth in 2023.
1: Yeah, that's um. I was going to say, obviously, the, the Osiris Rex is very much in the news. Uh, you know, the the last couple of weeks, and uh, yeah, I was reading. I was reading about that actually. They, they're going to um, drill, as, as I. No, it's
2: actually not going to drill. Not the Osiris-Rex. Is it not? Now that's the, That's the other Mars lander that just Insight just landed on Mars. That's is a it? different program, and we well, have I a know, few people.
1: I, I I remember reading that the Osiris-Rex is, as you say, is going to take a sample of the asteroid, um, and 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 return it. Now, the,
2: the funny thing about it, I have I have a coffee mug here because what we're going to do is we're only going to spend about uh, two or three seconds on the surface. And it's a very interesting way of, of how they're going to try to gather this sample. Uh, we kind of jokingly call it, we're going to kiss our asteroid. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the uh, the unit, the collection sample uh, uh, device, is it's on, a, I think it's about, a, I want to say it's three meter long arm. That um, will extend down, and they will actually lower the orbit of the uh, 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 satellite uh, in sync with the movement of the asteroid because it is rotating. Yeah. Uh, and they will approach it, and then this arm is, extends out. And it's it's kind of cantilever. It's got a, a a flexible arm on it, but at the end of it, it has. Uh, it almost looks like we we jokingly say a fifty-seven Chevy air filter. Okay. That's about the size of it. And uh, you know, when you're in the vacuum of space, you can't just suck something up, you're in a vacuum. So this device uh, actually injects dry nitrogen gas, just blasts the surface. And all around this ring, which is about the shape of an old air filter, are little collection chambers and the debris will be hopefully blown up and captured in these chambers here and then we can back off. and they will do a maneuver to, we have a minimum of 64 grams, which is not very much. Uh, but uh, the, the device is capable of, of, of collecting, you know, many, many more grams of material than that. But the minimum, NASA always has these minimum requirements in your contract. But, uh uh, it uh, they actually tested this device out on uh, what we call the vomit comet yeah <laughs> it's a, it's a nasa aircraft and they get a little bit of weightless time and uh uh yes they they were able to demonstrate that this could collect a lot more than the minimum 64 grams so it, uh, we're looking forward to it. It'll be a few years before they uh, actually uh, will go down to the surface and try to do it. Because as you can see in any of the pictures that are published on this, um, this thing has really got some uh, big boulders and debris all on it. It's only about uh, a half a mile in diameter, so it's not a very big
1: uh no, asteroid it's, it's not not a like particularly big rock is it as such right
2: it's big enough compared to our 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 little satellite there but yeah <laughs> uh, uh but on the other hand uh, it's about half the size of what the Japanese uh, are also their their our sister program. Uh and they're they've arrived at their asteroid a little bit earlier. But uh I would encourage anybody that's not familiar with it, just go Google Osiris Rex. Uh they have a wonderful website at the university here uh, uh with the, the NASA folks there and uh, details to, to follow on it. But personally myself, it's just been a absolute privilege and pleasure to be able to share Uh, Not so much with the details of what the scientists do, because I'm not in that position. It's just helping spread the word about, especially to, again, our youth, our our kids are our future, that, hey, you know what? I got interested in science when Sputnik went up back in 57. And uh, hopefully some of the things we do today will get kids like I was back then excited. I'm quite um, pleased uh, recently
1: um because obviously uh you know i grew up uh, watching apollo um you know i uh, my father got me out of bed to watch uh neil armstrong land on the moon as a small boy um so i you know i i grew up with the, the apollo um men on the moon all, all that the, the shuttle But we've had a hiatus, really, since the end of uh, Apollo. Sure, we had the shuttle, but it seemed the ambitions seemed to be closing down. You know, after after things like Voyager, um, you know, the the long distance probes, uh, and then we've we've had. uh, I'm I'm sure maybe a lot of it's been going on in the background, because obviously these things (laughs) take years, so you don't just suddenly go, "I think I'll send a probe to Jupiter." It doesn't happen like that, does it? But but. We seem to have had a bit of a renaissance. We've, we've had, you know, we've had probes to Pluto and, and, and Jupiter and, you know, we've had uh, a probe to, you know, we've landed on a comet. We're, we're putting um, probes on asteroids. Uh, we're talking about going to Mars again. You know, these, these sort of things. I think that's great. I think that's really important because we had a... It felt, for somebody like me who was interested in, in that um, development, that we had a terrible flat spot where everybody kind of just turned their back on it I'm sure the people in in the business of exploring space didn't, but certainly from you know a general public kind of view, everybody seemed to just like, "Oh well, we've been to the moon, and there wasn't anything really exciting there, so let's just forget about it and I, I thought that was terrible, terrible change.
2: yeah you know i I have to agree with you in in actually being around some of that stuff, of course, with our g p s we were always. Uh, concerned about that good old budget. Uh, and and it's the same thing in, in, in industry. Uh, the politics, you know, we went to the moon. I was excited. I thought for sure by the uh, end of the 70s, we'd have people on Mars and all that kind of went away. And then we did this crazy shuttle thing, which started out like, well, that's interesting. But boy, when you start to understand all the politics and all the budget limitations and uh, it's it's stuff that the general public doesn't really see other than the, maybe the tips of it, uh, just whatever the news and the social media today uh, puts out there. But again, uh, how do you ignite that spark? Uh, well, you, you you try to share it. You try to get people excited about it. But how do you share the reality of you know what, this is, your and my tax dollars have to go to fund this thing, and your and my tax dollars get spread pretty thin. And, of course, when you look at all the uh, the, the debt just within the U.S. here, uh, and I'm sure uh, across the pond there, you deal with the same, same thing as that. Boy, it's like, you know, running your... Your charge card up and keep adding to the limits well you know i just give me another thousand or whatever but you know (laughs) these things are in the the trillions which is too many zeros to put my mind around uh, but what it comes down to you say well where are we spending that money you know you you want to be a good human and 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 help out the people that need the help but on the other hand, too, you go, it all is a very, very complicated uh, equation that you have to deal with on this. And science, I think, is ever so important. Uh, the youth that I de- deal with in, in my outreach, uh, fortunately, they generally uh, are are on the same wavelength you and I are on, and that's encouraging. But so many of them that I don't connect with, uh, it's concerning. And, uh, you know, you do your part. Myself, you know, I'm in my seventies now, and and it's getting a little tougher to get around. But uh, I know I spent many and many a uh, uh, time in classrooms here over the last ten or twelve years, uh, working with our, our our science teachers. And even that, uh, when you look at it, I mean, our teachers uh, here in Arizona, we we don't pay them very much, and we're trying to improve that stuff. But again, it gets tied into that crummy where's our tax dollars being spent but they're saints i mean these these teachers they they really work so hard and i feel uh that you know i i know i pay a lot of taxes and i i look at what's going to the school system and yet when i go in there in the classroom and i go like why is my teacher partner still having to ask the kids to have them you know bring in paper and supplies and that because they don't have enough in the budget to get the basic things of pencils and paper uh something's wrong yeah and it's frustrating because you know uh, as a just a taxpayer and a citizen uh all i can do is vote vote my vote and uh give a, that's uh, the one you know and try to encourage the kids say hey hang in there uh and teachers "Geez, you're great stay with us you know but uh i understand too if you can't pay your rent and uh, yeah kind of uh, then, you know something's wrong with <laughs> well, something's,
1: something's very very wrong isn't it when um uh, yes we have a you know um i'm not I'm not sure that uh, teachers in this country are paid quite as poorly as some of the uh, teachers over there, but um I don't think anybody well, goes in may... nobody in this country goes into teaching for the money let's put it that way
2: and and you know that's kind of what was my feeling i mean i i i helped out uh, not at all looking for any monetary compensation, just you know seeing the the fact that I've maybe helped uh the teacher or helped a student or two in there uh but here in the States, depending on what state you're in, in Arizona, uh, you know, we we have several million people here. Uh, it's it's not a, the most populous state in the country, but you go over into Southern California, you know, and that's humongous. That's 39 million people live over there. Uh, and uh, uh, it's, it's the day and night difference, you know, with what their tax base and everything else is. But uh, even in the different cities here, we're in Southern Arizona and uh, they'll pay the teachers a little bit more up in 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 Phoenix, a couple hundred miles up the road from us. But then you look at California, look at some of the other states where they have a, a larger tax base or whatever. Uh, the teachers are paid much better. And so ranking out of the 50 states we have here, I think unfortunately our state is is very near the bottom of, of pay, and it and it's a, it's a problem that our our governor is really trying to make an effort as best he can. I think to. Uh, ensure that these teachers get a fair fair paycheck but uh, when you're competing with 49 other states and, and most of them are doing better than your state uh, he's got a real problem you know it's uh, yep. uh, life is life right
1: yeah uh, yeah that's always that's always the way um but well it's really good to hear of course i know i'm i, I wondered david um do you think uh, uh we won't go into whether we think it's right or not that that's that what they should be doing but uh do you think that the the work by people like um Elon Musk uh with his SpaceX and um Jeff Bezos with his uh space tourist Tomfool do you think that that's um do you think that's helping to inspire people to get interested in in that sort of thing i mean uh, i i'm not 100% convinced that really that's the best use for somebody like Elon's money but then again it's his money and Also, you know, sure, putting a mannequin in a car and (laughs) sending it off (laughs) into space is a sheer publicity, uh, you know, circus. But at the same time, you do think at least that gets people's attention. So... I'm kind of slightly conflicted about that. What did, what did you think about all that?
2: I, well, let's, let's, let's pick on uh, Elon right now. And uh, I'm impressed by Elon. Uh, Elon, you know, when you look at our video, uh, that kind of captures the similar spirit that I think Elon is doing. Uh, he is pushing the edge of the envelope in so many different ways uh, that I recognize that uh, it takes great, great dedication by a workforce to try to make that individuals uh ideas happen uh some of his ideas uh they they really are at the at the edge of the envelope but on the other hand uh, I have a nephew that used to work for uh, for him in the Tesla uh group there and uh um, he had actually uh, uh enjoyed working with it but uh I think uh uh, from what I can see in in the effort that's going on with his uh, automobile business, uh, boy, that is a steep vertical climb that he's making, and 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 he's making it. Looking at SpaceX, I'm impressed uh, because you know it's it it puts uh, a different pressure on the government approach. NASA, you know. In the old days, uh, Apollo and, and prior to Apollo and that, they had a lot more flexibility. These test pilots really put their life on the line uh, because they could. Uh, I've had the opportunity to meet several of the uh, the old uh, astronauts from the uh, Mercury and the uh, Gemini mission days. And, uh, that you know, when you listen to some of their an- an- anecdotes, uh, you go like, wow, you're right. You could never do that today, What you guys got away with doing back then, because... There will be some political regulation, PC correctness, or whatever that, oh, we don't do that anymore. Um, well, you know, I, I understand both sides of that equation. Well, Elon is, with his SpaceX, uh, you know, that putting his uh, his old roadster uh, up there in, in in space, yeah, okay, it was a little bit arrogant on one hand. But, you know, he needed to demonstrate that this uh, heavy lift space uh, launch vehicle was really capable of doing all those things. And he had enough room in that uh, shroud to, to comfortably put his old roadster in there. He could have put just a mass simulate in there, which NASA would have done um, just yeah. to demonstrate that I could lift that kind <laughs> of payload. Of, a but box Yeah. Of sand, so that's, yeah. that's a little bit of being a little bit cocky about it, but you well, need that I, spunk, I, I think.
1: Yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. You know, part of it seems like, you know, tomfoolery for the sake of showing off. And, and then the other part of me says that it's a brilliant move because it gets, you know, it gets in the news, it gets in the newspaper, it gets all over YouTube, you know. Um, and of course, I, I have to say that the the, the Falcon, you know, uh, with the soft soft return, um, yeah, is you know I, that you know I'm a bit younger than you, David, but I I grew up with the science fiction of you know the the sixties and and the seventies, and uh, that's that's how rockets were supposed to work. <laughs> exactly
2: yes that's, yes that's that's
1: what we that's what we all grew up expecting isn't it that's how rockets work um right. and in, you know in real life they didn't turn out to be like that but elon has said we will make them like that because it makes yes. sense and uh so you know i know it's not necessarily elon personally i'm sure he has a fabulous team and you know a huge number of engineers and and every everything you know related to that but the the work they've put into that to make that work is amazing and I will say um you know he's fascinated with going to Mars Um, oh
2: I I I hope he does it in my lifetime (laughs) yeah I I really uh, I'm a
1: bit like you I've been waiting for people to go to Mars you know since Apollo and then it just kind of got dropped and that seemed tragic and it's almost like a whole generation missed out on that. We we wasted, you know, fifty odd years really. Um, almost to the point where I've I've seen people in documentaries, you know, saying that we're having to start learning some of this stuff again because the guys who built Apollo, you know, are, are gone. Yes. And and yes. some of their, you know, some of their knowledge and the uh, things they learned along the way have been forgotten. And we're having to go back and start again. So, exactly.
2: Exactly. And again, it's uh, it's good to see that uh, we have the uh, uh, private sector here starting to push uh, the uh, government run programs uh, into realizing that, uh, you know what, y- you can be more efficient in doing these things and, and eliminate a lot of the bureaucracy, because it is. I mean, our government is, is a huge bureaucracy. I spent 37 years working with it, and um, it, it it's probably not got any better. But to see the outside competition coming in and, and, and seeing what they're able to do by eliminating much of that bureaucracy, that's, that's just, it's so encouraging. Uh, I just wish it wasn 't like you say fifty years too late, but uh, at least for me, but uh, uh, again, we need to get our youth you know uh getting a little bit back on to just our our Mac uh, community here, one of the things that uh i 've always been concerned with uh is what has happened to the user group you know we go to we have a wonderful Tucson Mac user group here in town here, but you go in there and you know, we're all long in tooth and gray in beard, and uh, you know, where's our kids? <laughs> occasionally, we'll get one to show up, you, yeah, know, and you try Well, to I mean, them, hey. we have
1: um, you know, I'm part of the, the Suffolk Mac user group here in the UK, um, and you know, we've got a fairly vibrant um, uh, user group, but again, yeah, I mean, I'm 55 and I'm one of the youngest people there. Um, my daughters occasionally uh come along, uh, we've You know, when I was on the committee, we discussed it, uh, uh, you know, several times about, um, you know, what's why why is this? But the the general consensus, um, in the end, I'll be honest, David, the general consensus amongst the committee was, I think that um, Mac user groups, as it were, in a way have had their day, um, that it's no longer the sort of specialist hobby that it was when a lot of us took it up, when computing was new and... Unusual. Uh, you know, kids today are growing up with, um, you know, with iPhones and iPads and laptops everywhere. And they don't think anything more of using a computer than they do turning the TV on. Um, yeah, I, I think that's part of it. And, and therefore, in some ways, the, the need for user groups um, in, in the sense that, you know, they grew up is is gone. That's why what's left is those of us who uh, started using computers at a time when that was considered a bit odd.
2: Well, one of the things that... uh... I keep observing where Apple is is putting these sessions together in their major stores, uh, uh, which I'm going, you know, that's kind of like what we used to do at a user group meeting. Uh, And unfortunately, you know, not every city has a major Apple store in it. And I'm going, you know, maybe that's really the direction we need to be trying to drive our user groups into at least emulating some of the stuff that Apple is able to do uh, in their sessions there. Um, but again, when you're talking to a group of seniors like myself, uh, you get the impression that, well, no, I just came down here to socialize and be entertained for the evening, (laughs) 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 you know, and you go, oh yeah, I can understand that part. It does get you out of the house. It does get you around with some of the folks at your your age group and that. And, uh, you know, some of us that, uh, uh, know a little bit more about how these computers work can help out some of the folks that are kind of struggling. Like I don't quite understand how to use this thing on my iPhone or my iPad. Uh, But uh, I I guess, you know, it's just, it's just the way life is moving. You're right. Social media has changed so much of the way uh, things are are handled today. Uh, You know, watching the the TV versus watching an Apple TV and and podcasts and, and the, uh, i i hardly watch tv anymore simply because what's on there is talking heads or some silly thing that i i don't have the time to watch uh where i can specifically go tune in on my apple tv uh the things that i want to watch and to control it so and i'm sure the younger kids are oh, much yeah. better much better than
1: i am at doing that very much so i mean my my son seems to get most of his entertainment from youtube to be honest um watches these things which are of no interest to me but they keep him amused so there we go but um i have to talk about the the mac user group we had um we just had a meeting actually uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh we had we had a slightly different meeting for a change we had one called my wonderful mac um and in instead of having like we normally do one or two you know fairly long presentations on on some subject or other, we had um 15 minute presentations from different people. Um, and they were not um you know they were not teaching um pieces. They were simply things that people say. Oh, this is what I do with my Mac. Um, and we had uh, a guy talking about uh how he puts. Live, um, how how he uh, runs live TV, um, because he works in broadcast. So he was showing how uh, adverts and um, various inserts are inserted into a live TV stream uh, in what traditionally would have been done by Roll VTR. Um, I gave a a 15-minute thing on how to record um, a a podcast. Uh, We had a guy uh, who... Gave us a, a ten-minute uh, talk about how he makes use of uh, the Notes application uh, to to run, basically run his uh, run his life. Uh, so that was that was good. That was a bit different and uh, quite thought provoking. Actually, we had uh, you know somebody showing us how they sketch using the Apple pencil, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, made a change.
2: Well, let me ask you because uh, we we've tried similar things here with the T-Mug uh, group. But you end up with about the same three or maybe four people that are willing enough to get up in front of the audience yeah. and demonstrate that is, something.
1: That is a, that is a constant struggle. That is a constant struggle. But for this one, um, because we told people they would only have to do like ten minutes, um, and they wouldn't necessarily have to ask uh, answer any questions because, um, it wasn't a presentation in the normal sense. It was a. The point was because it was called My Brilliant Mac, it was like just tell us something that you do on your Mac. Um, so that that seemed to encourage people to uh, come forward. We did have um a uh, a young lad um Nathan who demonstrated Scratch to us. Uh, which I, I'm sure you're familiar with Scratch. It's used a no, lot. No, I'm not. I'm, oh, you're I'm not not, fa- not familiar with no. Scratch? Okay, Scratch is um uh, an object oriented uh, programming environment um it's used very much uh in education in the u k um so it's uh, you you code basically by plugging the blocks together so oh, okay so if you like you know you have a start so it, it works like a flow diagram but you have a you know like a toolbox on the side with your commands in and you drag them out and plug them together ah uh, okay. To, so it's it's a vis- you know it's visual it's aimed at uh first coding for children. Um and so he basically showed us uh how it worked. Um and he, you know, built a simple um animation of a sprite using it. Um and then he showed us some other things that he'd built, you know, um in his spare time. Uh a chess programme, which he said wasn't a hundred percent done, but uh it, it could play eight way chess. <laughs> huh. No, four yes. way, four four way chess, I'd tell you, like, four way chess. Um on a sixty-four you know, uh and uh so on. But um so that was quite fascinating yeah scratch is uh yeah it's it's quite common in the u k um and uh, if you it's open source um uh-huh. so if you if you were uh, were to search for it online um and according to nathan uh if you wait until january they will be releasing a new version which runs purely in h t m l five so okay. n- no no javascript required um so if you're interested in that sort of thing, you, you might want to have a look at that, uh, David.
2: Uh, well, one one of the things that I, I noticed, we have a couple of grandchildren, and uh, one is uh, nine and the other one is sneaking up on 11. But last year for Christmas, uh, I splurged and I bought them both uh, MacBook Airs. And uh, it's just amazing, my granddaughter, who's going to be 11, uh, she was uh, taking uh, uh, classes using... Um, powerpoint at school and uh i said well you know ha- have you tried using what's on your your new mac this uh, key- keynote and she says uh I, I don't know what it is and i showed her and I swear within an hour, she was doing animations on Keynote and saying, look, Grant, this is what I can do with this. It's just like it, like PowerPoint. Yeah. And I'm going like, how be doggone, you know, here she was, you know, 10 years old and, and and making animations in Keynote and never had seen it before. Other than, you know, the similarities to to PowerPoint. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's to the point now is that I'm, I'm always curious to see what our, our grandkids are doing because they're like they're ducks to water, you know, uh, Roblox, Roblox, I guess it's called. Yeah,
1: Roblox. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: that's, uh, they're endlessly. I'm going, Hey, put the, put the machine down. Let's do something else. Oh, but graphs. Oh, I got this. I got that. I got I don't understand what you're doing, but, uh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, uh,
1: Roblox is, um, it's strange because I mean, Although it's um a game, obviously, um it, it's also popular because uh it allows kids to build their own games. Yes. And it you know, it's a it's a coding type of thing. So those who know what they're doing can construct games and then open them up for other, you know, kids to play in. So, you know, that's a that's um uh, and even Minecraft, to some extent. I mean, yeah, they, that's
2: what they were doing the year before. It was Minecraft.
1: I mean, Minecraft has and... all this stuff with um redstone, doesn't it, which allows you to build ele- effectively the electrical circuits and, and and do all sorts of
2: you know. I've tried to get them to to look at Swift, but they don't even. They have older iPads, and they go, "Ah, oh, we like our MacBook Airs, and Swift's not on the MacBooks." Yeah. So. Uh uh but uh that that looked like a real good choice until grandpa bought him macbooks uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, oh. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, David, um, we've been talking for quite a while. So what we'll do is we will take a five minute break um, if you wish to refresh your coffee or whatever. And we'll go over to John in his uh, Nemo's hardware store. And then we'll come back and we'll have a quick look at a few news stories, if that's all right with you.
2: That sounds perfect.
1: Okay. See you in a few minutes. See you in a few minutes. Uh, Take it away, John.
0: Very unusual product today in Nemo's hardware store company is called Bonx, B-O-N-X. The item is the Bonx Grip, B-O-N-X-G-R-I-P. Website is bonx.com. It's an all-weather, outdoor, single-ear earpiece, a Bluetooth earpiece that attaches to your ear with an integrated rubber segment that goes around behind your ear, and it holds the earpiece in place. You must see the movies and the pictures on the website. At bonks.com. It's ideal for outdoor activities skiing, snowboarding, fishing, hiking, cycling, or just about anything you're doing outside where you can use basically hands free communication because it's voice activated. Let me slow down a little bit. It's three things in one. Number one is a conventional single ear Bluetooth earpiece for listening to music, making calls, just doing regular Bluetooth. Earbud type stuff with a single earpiece. It is not stereo, right ear only. Number two, a dedicated app that you download and install. It allows you to communicate with up to 10 Bonks users, again using the voice activated voice signal. So there's not a lot of background noise. So, for instance, when I'm on the cycling trail and Merlin is 100 yards behind me, we can talk and we don't need to worry about shouting next to one another. Please look at the movies and the images and the description on the website and read some of the reviews. Cost in the U.S. is $140 for a single unit. This is a premium for outdoorsy people, sports people, anyone in construction. There's so many uses when you're out in the woods, any place that you can get a wireless signal. If you lose the signal, it picks it up as soon as you grab the signal again. They describe it much better on their website than I could. Use number three is quite unusual. When I'm talking to Merlin, I can be doing a video And we are talking the whole time. I can be making a video on my phone and both of our voices or as many voices are in on the call. We only have two units to evaluate. But up to 10 of the voices in the Bonk's communication, the group chat, will be on that video. Imagine this for an outdoor pursuit. If you're doing hang gliding, any stuff like that where you're out and about and one person can be doing the video and everybody's voice can be in on it. So the Bonk Script is a high-end, single-ear, Bluetooth earpiece for conventional use, plus group chat, plus movie making. You can buy two-pack, and they come in four different colors. So check out the website from our links at EssentialApple.com, and we are going to be reporting more on this as we use it more. We just tested it once to get our review units working with their app. I made a short movie, listened to some music, answered a phone call, did everything I needed to do. It works. The hardest part about it is making sure you get the earpiece in properly and you use that rear loop segment to get it comfortable on your ear. Everything else kind of fell into place. The app can be a bit quirky, but you're smart and you'll figure that part out. Took us about 10 minutes to figure it out, how to generate the group chat link. Well done, Bonk's Grip, and there'll be more to say on this in the future. Back next week.
1: Thank you, John, for that uh, rather interesting uh, hardware store. And uh, the Bonks uh, earpiece is available for uh, $139 for one, or I believe it's $260 for a pack of two. Uh, Go over to their website uh, in the show notes, and you can watch their videos, as John said. So, uh, well, after that short break, David, um, we'll have a look at a few stories. Uh, we were talking in the break, obviously, we were talking about the fact that uh, Apple have released Watch OS 5.1.2, uh, which enables the ECG function if you have an Apple Watch 4, at least in the US. I don't know about here in the UK, uh, but you were telling me, obviously, we have a story here, um. Apple Watch user discovers he has uh, atrial fibrillation heart issue. Um, That was on 9to5Mac. Basically, yeah, you know, unsurprisingly, he got his uh, downloaded 512, thought, I'll try out the ECG. Um, It gave him a reading that said you might have atrial fibrillation. Uh, he, He didn't believe it, so he put it on his wife and did some ECGs on her, which all returned normal. So uh, then he thought you'd better go and see the doctor. And the doctor checked him out and said, yes, you do have uh, atrial fibrillation and this has probably saved your life. Um, and then the doctor is quoted as saying, I thought we'd probably see an uptick in cardiac referrals, uh, you know, in the next few days. But I didn't ex- expect it to be the first thing on Monday morning. Uh, there we go. Um, so you were, you were saying that obviously uh, you've tried it out. So, uh how did that go david
2: well it's it's interesting because uh it, it depends on your finger touching the crown uh when you run the app uh my old fingers and living out here in the desert uh, the moisture i think has some effect on how well it works uh during the break here i i, I just did one and it worked just perfectly and said i'm healthy uh, but, uh, yesterday I was playing around with it and, uh, uh, I got some really strange ones, but at least it was smart enough to tell me that, uh, this does not seem like it, uh, was done correctly. You may want to repeat it, but there are a series of cautions that remind you that, Hey, this is, you know, just a one point EKG. And it's not going to tell you if you're having a heart attack. <laughs> no,
1: no. Did, I don't. You know, consult your health professional. Um, exactly. But um, we've but... talked about it on this show before. You know, um, and people have brought that up. You know how how realistically how helpful is it? And I th- I think the the point is that anything which can flag up a possible issue for users is good because. Certainly in this country, you know, every doctor in every uh, A&E department in the country will tell you we'd rather have somebody turn up here saying they think they're having a heart attack and it turns out just to be indigestion than have to, you know, be trying to resuscitate somebody because they've had a cardiac arrest in the ambulance on the way here. Yes. So, uh, you know, I. it's great. I think it's great. Yeah, it, it's like saying, it, you know... It, home blood pressure monitors are not as accurate as hospital blood pressure monitors well maybe not but if it if it tells you that you appear to have consistently high blood pressure that's something that you should then consult your doctor about
2: exactly and you know the thing that I, I look at it at my age is that this is another tool in my health toolbox uh and it's a lot more convenient and uh, and my doctor who is a little bit younger than I am uh, he's kind of fascinated by the technology, and I said, "Well, you know, it's it's becoming readily available, and the Apple folks have, uh, I think, done a serious job of of providing some valuable tools that, uh, in the future, uh, will continue to add more value to our our, our health uh, monitoring." And uh, again, I think the nice part about it. This is just one of several things that when I go in and, and do my annual wellness checkup with my primary care provider. I can pull out my iPhone and say, well, look, doc, these are the things that I've been monitoring. You might be interested. I can PDF uh, email it to you. Or if you have an iPhone, I'll airdrop it to you. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I kind of think, you know, down the road as, as technology catches up in the industry, uh, we'll see a lot more of this that become automated, barring, you know, the the uh, privacy issues and that are doing it. But I think Apple does a pretty good job of of handling that that concern.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think a lot of people, certainly most people, I think, who are in the Apple ecosphere would tell you that they would probably trust Apple more than most other companies to protect their private data. The other one that caught my eye, David, um, obviously there's been a lot of talk this year about foldable phones or foldable devices, uh, you know, and Samsung, of course, have shown off their um foldable, well, at least a demo item um and one of the points of concern that came up whenever we were talking about it on this show was how are you going you know what are you going to use to um for the screen because we're all thinking well you can't bend glass in half like that um well apparently according to this article Corning are building an impossibly thin flexible gorilla glass for fold- foldable phones um this was uh, i picked this up on uh, BGR, Boy Genius Report. Um, Corning say that they are making a gorilla glass which can be folded over um, around um, a radius, a small, uh, was it say, was it a diameter? A, a, okay, we're going to uh, a tight bend radius. You will have to have a glass much, much thinner than what you have today. Um, and some of the glass we have in our labs is thinner than a human hair. Uh hmm. This was uh technology director Polly Chu. Um the ultra-thin prototype is just 0.1 millimeters and can bend almost in half like a piece of paper around a radius of five millimetres. Which um okay, five millimeter radius, that's well, that's a, a probably about bending it around your little finger, isn't it? So um, you know, it's not quite folding it in half, but right. that, <laughs> there's a photograph of it here. I mean that is certainly, I would say, foldable enough that you could. Uh, it would work for a tablet, or um, you know, um, not quite sure it would work for a phone yet. But if they can get it, if they could get it down to say a two and a half mil uh, radius, I would have thought that would be ideal. So that that's interesting. I like things like that. I'm always fascinated by that. Um, I
2: I think you know what, and I hadn't seen the article, but uh, I'm going to equate back to my. My days in in as an engineer uh, and when we came out with uh, flex harnesses flex cables in in our electronic circuits and that and uh, you know very very thin not as thin as what we're talking here but the biggest problem you had in flex cables is that you can only flex them so many times. And then the electronics, which is basically just a printed conductive uh, within the uh, the material, uh, you start getting um, micro cracks. And intermittent and that. <laughs> so that that's the vision that comes to my mind with why would I want a folded screen? I have to say,
1: um <laughs> like <laughs> you, I it, it fascinates me. Um and when we had uh, Tim Tim Baharan on, he said, you know, he wasn't convinced at the moment um that the market you know really uh wants foldable devices but as he said uh you know it's consumers will drive this if uh the technology you know will no doubt improve over time but uh if, if that's what people want uh we'll soon know because people will start buying them um and if people don't really feel that it provides any great benefit they will fade away into, into exactly Lincoln. um I, but yes what fascinates uh fascinates me about it is um is exactly that you know um how do you build how do you build uh you know oled screens that can fold in half how do you how do you cover them you know in this case you know with micro thin glass how do you stop the electronics from literally cracking up over time yes uh, when, when
2: you think of how how thin uh the, the circuitry is just to connect the leds in in a in an array um uh, and how do you think i want to bend this thing a few
1: times Ugh. <laughs> yeah not you know it, 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 for people of our age it's totally counterintuitive isn't it it's like uh, you know why on earth would you want to try and do that that, that that's a recipe for disaster
2: I, exactly i mean uh, I,
1: re- I i remember um not so many years ago um having i had uh an apple uh i think it was a titanium power book um uh-huh. it, it was the uh, uh i don't know it, anyway it was one that had that had kind of traditional hinges on the back uh which yes. stood proud of the case um and that was a nice laptop but it had developed a fault where obviously the the screen cable had to run through those barrel hinges yes and um it had reached a point where you you could get it on, but you had to position the screen very carefully so yeah. that it would work because there were certain places, you know, certain angles at which it would work. And uh, if you knocked it, then the screen would go out or go yeah. haywire because the cabling, obviously, that ran through the um, through the hinges had begun to, you know, to break down. Um, there you go. Yeah, so, but uh, Corning, apparently, so, uh, are working on a bendable glass. uh, Very counterintuitive, indeed. But uh, if they can pull it off, I think, you know, that's got to be a step towards having foldable devices that are, um, you know, consumer popular, because, um, let's face it, before uh, Corning came out with Gorilla Glass, you know, a lot of phones had those horrible plastic screens, and we all know that was far from... uh, Far from ideal.
2: Yes, it's uh, it's. Uh, I just uh, added the uh, 10R phone to my uh, my collection of Mac items, and uh, having a glass front and a glass back, I'm going. Oh, I don't know about this, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I'm getting used to it. Uh, I did get a nice little uh, case that allows me to still uh, 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 use the uh, the charging uh, magnetic charging there. But uh, uh, still, uh, it may be Gorilla Glass, but it is glass.
1: Glass is still glass, yes. Uh, You know, as I know, to my cost, uh, my Gorilla Glass, uh, you know, my iPhone 7, the glass on the front (laughs) is broken. It is cracked because i dropped it um oh. and it landed on the corner and thus yeah. <laughs> uh and it's, at some it's... point i will have to get it replaced but uh it's quite expensive to replace it and uh it's not badly enough cracked at the minute that i feel that uh that's a top priority but,
2: uh... <laughs> <laughs> i hear you <laughs> and our our grandkids uh, with their their equipment i go oh my gosh i i am I'm so cautious about this and they just, they don't pay any attention and they haven't broken it yet, but I'm going, Oh, that
1: day is coming. It is coming. It's coming. Um, on that, on that note, actually Apple have just released a clear case for the, uh, iPhone 10 R according to nine to five Mac and various other people. Um, I've had a look at this. It, it looks quite nice. Um, but I have to say it is $40, which is kind of typical Apple premium price. And, uh, I'm not sure I'd want to pay $40 for a clear case to put on my phone.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I bought uh, for, for mine, I, I did the usual hit Amazon, and I think I paid like uh, $9 for a very nice case that uh, uh, cooperates with the uh, uh, charger. Uh, I'm just forgetting what we call the charging. What, <laughs> like
1: the q charges, yeah? Q-charging,
2: yeah, q, Q-charging. Mm-hmm. And uh, – uh, you know, for nine bucks, uh, wow! Apple making a clear one for forty bucks, and the interesting thing I was watching uh, uh, one of the Twit uh, episodes here yesterday, and uh, uh, Renee Ritchie from Imore was commenting that uh, it's really strange why there is no Apple leather uh, cases for the Ten R. Uh, the clear one just came out, as you pointed out, and and that was it. And you go like,
0: um,
1: hmm, I've, what's going
2: on, Apple? Well, I. <laughs>
1: i i think i mean this is only my take on it but um my my thought really is you know they the iphone uh, you know the 10r comes in these lovely colors blue yellow coral red black um why to some extent they're like why would apple want you then to put it in a leather uh, cover and cover it sorry, up i
2: didn't even think about that that's that's true people people want to show off the beautiful colors i, I hadn't I, even thought about that
1: i think that is i think that is the you know i mean uh i my phone is the jet black one um and it was the first iphone which i didn't bother to put a case on uh because it is the shiny you know piano jet black uh case uh previous to that um i've always used a case often a thin ice case which is a you know fraction of a millimeter uh, polycarbonate snap on yeah um but because it was this lovely you know shiny black I, I didn't want to cover it up so i i didn't put a case on that one um and my next phone will almost certainly be a 10r and if i do put a case on it it will certainly be a clear case because why yeah. would you buy why why bother to buy a colored phone and then put it in a you know then cover it up but there we are yeah
2: i think uh, my problem is is that i think i bought i think it's black <laughs> and 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 i said well i could just put a nice black case on it i don't need a clear case <laughs> well that is true
1: if you if you go for you know if you go for a fairly traditional black or silver one maybe you're not but if you if you buy yeah. a blue one or a pink one or whatever color you might yeah, want to show sense. it off anyway yeah, it makes. there we go um and also, we we were kind of having a bit of a laugh in the break, weren't we, David? It's 50 yeah. years since Douglas Engelbart's Mother of All Demos changed personal technology forever. Uh, there's a long article on Mashable, which is well worth a read, um, but really, 50 years. Um, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and for those who don't know, um, of course, the Mother of All Demos, uh, Douglas Engelbart, um, demonstrated what we would think of as uh you know computing as we see it now uh, that is you know with a mouse and a pointer uh with um hyperlink you know hypermedia documents um collaborative working uh all all that all of those things um and uh, as they say here you know this demo was not just a flash of brilliance it was the magna carta the Rosetta Stone, the the direct the Declaration of Independence of personal computing as we know it now, um and it, yeah, very much. I mean, it's very famous. Uh, before my time, uh, you know, fifty years ago, I'd been uh, five years old when he demoed that. But uh, it is, of course, famous, very famous indeed. And uh, well, it's a good read, um it's amazing it really is amazing i mean there's a picture on here of the first mouse which is a wooden block with some wheels in it um fantastic at uh, the vision you know the vision of the of the man <laughs> to uh come up with these things way before i mean realistically it was 20 years before most of the things he was demonstrating even became uh common really fantastic
2: It is. When you think back of uh, where we have come from, one of the first computers that I trained on in my early Air Force days uh, was a link trainer for the uh, F4C uh, Phantom Fighter. And that computer using uh, what we think today of primarily op amps was all vacuum tubes. So uh, this thing had just ton after ton of air conditioning just to keep the temperature constant in the bays of all this computer operations that are running in in integration circuits, uh, differentiation circuits, operational amplifiers. Uh, We used to carry a little tool that had uh, like a screwdriver on one end and a socket on the other end, uh, like the size of a pencil. And we called them tweakies because we would be constantly tweaking all the various circuits because of the drift due to temperature. And you look at today and we think nothing of it. I mean, I live out here in the desert and I get a little concerned with when it's
0: 110
2: degrees outside Fahrenheit. uh, Is my watch going to stop working? Well, you know, there are limits on these things, but we we kind of take it for granted that, uh, you know, boy, was technology, I I think I mentioned earlier, it's kind of the Moore's law, uh, how things have advanced. And 50 years ago, with just introducing how you could use something like a mouse to move things around in a graphical interface, I guess we call it a GUI interface today. Uh, uh, Yeah, well, 50 years, so it just doesn't seem that
1: it's been that long, but no, but it, you know it, it's also fascinating. If you read the article, um, you know it, it's it's amazing that you read this and the vision, the vision. You know it was easily twenty years ahead. Um, easily, it, it's un- unbelievable. Um, there we go. Fifty years since the mother of all demos.
2: How about uh, Star Trek with uh, Scotty uh, when he went back in time and he picks up the mouse, yeah. <laughs> yeah. hello, computer.
1: Hello, computer. <laughs> um, uh,
2: so, <laughs> And then, of uh, course,
1: we, you know, that's laughable in its own, you know, it was laughable and a deliberate, uh, you know, joke of its own within the film because they talk to their computers and yet, you know, we're, we're in a, we are reaching a stage where it is possible to talk to your computer. Um, you, know. you know,
2: the one thing that surprised me, my son, uh, I gave him my old Apple Watch as when I bought the uh, the latest one. And uh, he said, oh, Dad, I don't know, whatever, you know, I, I, I'll give it a try. And then he was uh, over there and all of a sudden I started getting these text messages on my watch. And I'm going, how are you doing that? And he says, just press the microphone there and, and, and you can dictate to the watch. <laughs> I learned something new for something I've been wearing for years. I didn't even realize it. And it you know, it does a really good job, uh, even with my slurred speech. Uh, so, yeah, hello, computer is uh, uh, <laughs> it's on my wrist. Yep, yep, it's um, it's
1: unbelievable. I mean, again, you know, we we were we were laughing, uh, weren't we? In the you know, while the Nemo's hardware store was on. Um, and I, I said to you, you know, my first experience of computers was uh, when I was in the sixth form, uh, a small group of us had access to the uh, tele-type terminal, which connected to the local college. Um, and it had a real a real modem, which was a telephone that you dialed up the college on. And then when it made the famous uh, modem tones, we, you stuffed it into a, a foam box and slammed the lid down. Um, and it was an actual audio coupler. Um, and the programs on that were stored on paper tape, which you had to be very careful not to tear. Um, and and you told me a, a story about punch cards, which, uh, yeah, to tell the listeners that, because that, that I think that uh, really does kind of illustrate how much we
2: sometimes take for granted uh, at the moment. Yes, this, again, was in my old military days, and I was at that time working on another length flight simulator uh, for the F-111 aircraft. And uh, that was programmed using Hollerith coded uh, punch cards, and uh, we had just huge stacks of punch cards to program this uh, this system. And uh, uh, we were having fits to be tied one evening. We couldn't get this thing to load the program correctly. Uh, and it turned out, after much troubleshooting, uh, one of the technicians that was loading these punch cards into the card reader had uh, gone to dinner and uh, at uh, K- Kentucky Fried Chicken. And so he had uh, greasy fingers when he was handling these cards. And the grease was just enough that because the card reader was an optical reader, uh, it was reading the greasy fingerprints as ones where they weren't supposed to be any ones. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, boy, chicken fingers got us that night. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, why are computer bugs called bugs? Because in the old days, if a moth got into your circuitry, it would short something out and everything would come yes. to a grinding halt. Quite literally That's a bug in the system. Oh yes. dear. Well, um, what other stories have we got here, David? And uh I think we'll then we'll wrap it up. Uh I'll tell you what, I've got a little snippet here. Um and this one is a a, a good laugh. If you ask Siri, why are fire fire trucks red? You'll get a rather long and uh, amusing answer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, it may be an old story. My grandkids love this one, why are fire trucks red? Has it something to do about Two and two is
1: four. Uh, no, this one doesn't. Um, but it's a, oh, it's, a okay. it's a it's a similar kind of tale. It's a similar kind okay. of tale. Um, okay. Some somebody uh, obviously had far too much time on their hands and programmed Siri to give you a rather interesting ar- answer. I'll, if ha- you I'll have
2: to play it and see if uh, how similar it is to that long old story about wire fire Yeah, yep.
1: Red. <laughs> uh, that's uh, it, it. But it is uh-huh. uh, so. Uh, um, after the show, everybody go off and ask Siri why. Fire trucks, red, and you will get an amusing answer, right? Well, worth of chirps, David. Um, I have some worth of chirps, which is where people either send me in things or I have things to uh, tell the listeners about. Um, Mac Jim has sent me a link to some Faraday bags, uh, for your kit. Um, link in the uh, well, it's faradaybag.com. Uh, if you want a Faraday bag to put your phone in or your ipad or whatever so that it cannot be uh accessing or accessed by anything else while it's in the bag um there you go go over to faradaybag.com if you were want your tinfoil hat to include a faraday bag to protect your car keys or your phone or any other devices um now i have bought myself uh i bought myself a keyboard uh protector for my macbook um i've bought a mossy i don't know mozzie mozzie so i think it is a keyboard cover it cost me six pounds from amazon um it's a it's a you know a, a thin skin i'm not sure if it's, it's some kind of tpu plastic i think um they come in a variety they come in different colors um and there are different models for different uh machines um and it just it it just sits on the keys um it's not really designed to prevent spillages going into the machine, but obviously it would give you some protection from that. But uh, I just thought, yeah, I, I think I'd like to... My other one, the keys always ended up getting grungy. You know, they end up ooh, nasty. And, and crumbs, I'm always worried about crumbs and things going in the, in the machine. So I have bought this uh, this thin keyboard skin. And as I say, it cost me uh, £6. Um, and they come in a variety. Uh, they also do some... Uh, they come in with different colours. If you'd like to have different coloured keyboards, I've got a clear one, but um, you can have red ones and blue ones if you want your keys. They also do some with um, with different symbols on. Um, I think they have some that map to different keyboard layouts, so that it, you know, like Portuguese or or Spanish, if you're if you're uh, bilingual and want to know what the keys are on the different uh, key layouts. So there you go. That was something I I uh, thought was worth a shout out. Um and I'm not sure who sent me this one. I have one here called Non Plastic Beach. Um Mon There is a company who are offering alternatives to single use and disposable plastics. Uh one sustainable product at a time, apparently. I've had a look. Uh, they do things like uh you know, bamboo um bamboo uh toothbrushes and uh, You know, uh, a non-plastic thermal water bottle, that sort of thing. So if you want to uh, help reduce plastic waste, um, go over and have a look. And uh, this is one that uh, John Nemo was keen that I uh, explain. Uh, I don't know if you know, but Apple's iOS apps do not have to store their documents in their own folder in the Files app or the iCloud Drive you can uh, go this go into the settings for uh, pages or numbers uh and so on uh, in fact probably all of the apple apps uh, and go into their settings and you can tell them to use dropbox or any other storage uh which you have available in the files app um there's a link in here uh on how to do that um all of apple's ios apps can store their files anywhere uh you just have to know how to tell them to do it, so uh they are John uh that was one, and this is this is one of my favorites um ghostery now I've been using Ghostery as an anti tracker uh in Safari for well since Ghostery came out I think um but I was at work the other day, and a colleague was bemoaning uh the slowness of um uh, a website that he was trying to access and the fact that it was swamped in ads, so swamped in ads that he could hardly read the content. Um, and I said to him, you should get Ghostery and uh, turn off all that rubbish. Um. And he'd never heard of it. Uh, And he said, can I get it for, you know, can I get it for Chrome on Windows? And I said, you most certainly can. You can get it for pretty much everything. Just go to ghostry.com and choose your browser and uh, install the extension. And so he did. And he was very pleased to find that he could then access that website, uh, you know, a lot faster and without all the distracting ads. And uh, he was surprised to see the number of things that Ghostery had blocked because it can show you a little number of how many things it was blocking, and I think it was about thirty trackers and various and adverts that it removed from his uh, from his browsing experience. So there you go. Those are uh, those are my uh, those are my worth of chirps for this week, David. Um, excellent. Yep, and uh, so. Thank you very much for coming on um fabulous talking to you absolutely fascinating uh your uh bio will be in the show notes uh and most importantly of course the link to the documentary on uh amazon the lonely halls meeting g p s documentary uh well worth a watch it's really well worth a watch it's fabulous um and and uh i i think uh I, i'm not sure who it, who it is in the uh in the documentary, but I thought they nailed it really when he described it as, uh, from obscurity to ubiquity. I thought that was, uh,
2: <laughs> yes, yes. As Carl Kovach and, uh, Carl uh, is quite a colorful character. He looks a lot different than I remember him when we were lieutenants together, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it was a very fitting end. And, and of course, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Brad Parkinson, uh, who we all feel is the father of GPS, uh, did a wonderful job and he looks great uh, considering his years behind him. And that's, that's the point I think that our producer Tom was getting concerned with because uh, one of our members in the video there has just recently passed away. And he said, My God, I need to get this out before more of these people uh, pass on. So,
1: well, uh, I, it was a fabulous documentary and uh, I think more, should you know, it should be, uh, you know, made more widely available because um, let's face it, it's true it, GPS you know is something which is relied on by everyone all the time everywhere now um and you guys are you know unsung heroes
2: so there yeah. you go uh thanks to everybody that supported that program that didn't survive the cutting room floor but uh are yeah. many many other people that really put their heart and soul into I'm sure they making were... it what we have today
1: I'm sure. Um, as I said, uh, you know, last week to uh, Alex, uh, Sepco, you know, and uh, you know, a big thank you to all the <laughs> all the engineers everywhere who toil away making things better um, without ever getting any recognition for the effort they put in. So um, there we go. Uh, uh, and of course, I didn't mention you are a reviewer with MyMac, aren't you, on the mymac.com. dot com.
2: Yes, I do. It's been a little while for uh, for reviews. Uh, It's been a little slim on what I like to review, but yes, I do have a a half a dozen or so on there on my Mac. That uh, many of them are my personal experiences with a product that I really like and enjoy and and use regularly. So uh, check it on out. Yep. Well,
1: I think uh, I think at the moment Nemo is bemoaning the fact that uh, review uh, material is a bit thin on the ground. So. uh,
2: there we are. It is. It's it is tough and, and uh we we keep hounding Nemo that uh you better find us something a little more that we can put our, our teeth into because uh you know just so much that uh, has come out that uh, I don't think I want to even try to review that product. It's too <laughs> common or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Be it. Yeah.
1: Well I'm um, poor old John. Poor old John. He does his best. I mean, let's face it, if the <laughs> If the manufacturers won't send him anything to review, there's not a lot any of us can do about that. That's but about it. That's about it. So, um, what else? Oh, oh, well, I must mention this, of course, must not. I must mention this. Uh, I mentioned Alex uh, from Skylum. Uh, last week, uh, Alex gifted us five copies of Luminar 2019 and five copies of Aurora 2019 to give away. Um, and so, if you would like to try and win one of those, send an email to essentialapple at sudomail.com, that's S-U-D-O mail dot com, uh, mentioning whether you would prefer Luminar or the Aurora HDR, and you have to include the phrase which I gave in the show. So you have to go and listen to my interview with Alex Sepko in order to enter. Um, and also, Be Light. Uh, kindly gave us uh, a copy of uh, live home 3d to give away one copy for ios and one copy for mac Uh, similarly uh, email the show mentioning the live home 3d and the phrase that i gave out on that show Uh, and be like are in the double interview bonus episode Uh, we will draw the winners for both of these competitions at the christmas party podcast which we will record on the 23rd. So uh, get your entries in before then, and uh, good luck. Right. Well, David, fantastic having you on the show, mate. Uh, Brilliant. And uh, is there anywhere you wish to uh, promote before we sign the show off?
2: Well, uh, one, this was really fun. I really enjoyed it, Simon. And uh, yes, I would just like to encourage folks that uh, uh, check out our, our video there about the GPS. Documentary, which you gave us a good plug for, and uh, we do have. Uh, I do run a Facebook page for any of those that do the Facebook for the uh, Tucson Mac User Group T Mug. Uh, so we we try to share links with other folks that are out there. Let the rest of the world and in, in the Mac community know what's uh, happening uh, today. I, I would like to share a link to our podcast today. Yeah, feel free on Facebook. Please and, do. Yep. Uh, We'll we'll let the folks here in the Southern Arizona district that visit us we don't have a very large audience but uh hey you know we'll uh, we'll make it go viral somehow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um if you would like to send me the uh send me that link for the Tucson Mug Facebook group uh David I will put it in the show notes for you.
2: I can do that. I will do that as uh, soon as we wrap up here as I how uh, I'm multitasking. <laughs>
1: okay um and of course as you mentioned uh you know go check out osiris rex uh you know um
2: yes uh, please
1: (laughs) yeah please do uh
2: it's an exciting mission
1: it is indeed uh as are you know several other missions that are going on at the moment i have to say uh well i think that's probably about all for this show so uh You can find me on Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. All of the shows are over at EssentialApple.com. You can find us on uh, YouTube, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, uh, you know, in all good uh, podcast apps. And uh, I think all we've got left to say now is goodbye.
2: Goodbye. Thanks much.
1: Bart Boo shots and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I forgot. So, why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcasts, and take a listen.
0: Amazon, Google, Apple, Android, iOS, Alexa, Siri, technology, sci fi, video games, tablets, computers, flash drives, toys, weather, and General Silliness, geekiest show ever, every week, on the MyMac Podcasting Network.
1: This has been the Essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye, and thank you for listening